Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Tyler, you know, we've been doing this podcast, what, almost, is it four years? Yeah. I think it's been a long time, and I got to tell you, the whole time that we've been doing this show and publishing Coastal News today, the issue of uh, rising sea levels and the impact on nearshore development has been sort of you know, one of the big themes in almost all of the coverage and discussions we've had, Tyler, it seems like this, uh, we can't get away from this issue. And I don't think we should. No, we can't. I mean, that's kind of what life on the edge is all about is you're right there on the edge of the ocean and the land. And as our good friend Gary Griggs said, if the ocean wants to move a few meters one way or the other, there's just nothing that we as humans can really do about it. But of course, Peter, we've been studying all around the American shoreline app, uh, how communities are thinking about adaptation to rising seas and climate change and storm risks and all the things that are kind of barking at the door there of the ocean. And one of the things that's been coming up recently, Peter, is the concept of managed retreat. Yeah, it's such a big issue. And of course, it's a major focus of our good friends at the Program for the Study of Developed Shorelines at Western Carolina University. Rob Young speaks about this issue with authority and has for many years. Uh, It's a struggle. Uh, States and local governments that are contending with rising seas, no question about about the significance of that problem, are all struggling with how do we contend Uh, Do we build walls? Do we armor? Do we try to restore the shoreline? Do we rebuild the beaches? Or should we consider managed retreat? And more and more, Tyler, managed retreat is a subject that is being taken more seriously. And I'm really glad that that's the case. Well, me too. And uh, we have done a couple shows on this subject in the past. We've talked about the Ventura Managed Retreat Project, Peter, right down the road for, from where I am now. Yeah. But that project is interesting. You know, that's a that's a public area. It's 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 the the fairgrounds of California is what is retreating there. So it's, you know, the public interest in the beach is running up against the public interest in the parking lot of the fairgrounds. Public be yeah. public. But where we've seen so many, so much uh, difficulty is in, was, is when the public's interest in the beach runs up against private property. That's when it looks like local governments are going to have to pull out their checkbooks and buy these properties. And that's what we're going to be discussing today, Peter. We have an excellent guest and an, an amazing, innovative new program coming out of the Hawaiian Islands. We do. Maui County uh, is the governing Uh, entity for, I believe, the entire island of Maui. And joining us today on the American Shoreline podcast uh, is going to is the uh, planning and sustainable land use uh, chairman of the committee that advises the Maui County Council. So uh, we're going to get a chance to dive into what I think Tyler may well be the first uh, local government managed retreat revolving fund in the United States of America. So we got a great show. We sure do. And I'm, I can't wait to get into it. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by Geodynamics, an NV5 company specializing in providing accurate surveys of complex coastal environments worldwide. Driven by marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing, 
Our researchers use the latest technology to provide meticulous data products to support our clients and answer their toughest questions. Geodynamics carefully designs and executes a variety of hydrographic, geophysical, sub-bottom, and near-shore surveys using our fleet of customized vessels and sensor configuration. You can find us at nv5geospatial.com. Geodynamics, delivering solutions, improving lives. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter for our latest updates from around the American shoreline. Like what you're hearing and want to support the network? Sponsorship packages are now available. Go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising to learn more. Joining us on the American Shoreline podcast today is Tamara Pelton. She is the chair of the Planning and Sustainable Land Use Committee for the Maui County Council and is the innovator and originator of a very important new local ordinance adopted by the county on November 10th, 2022, which is the the ordinance creating the Managed Retreat Revolving Fund for the county. Welcome to the show, Tamara. Thank you for taking time to talk to our listeners on the American Shoreline Podcast. Aloha, and thank you for having me. Well, Tamara, I really look forward to getting into the nuts and bolts of this uh, Manage Retreat Revolving Fund. So innovative. But before we do, I'd love to get to know a little bit about you. Uh, Could you tell us a bit about your background and how you came to be a Maui County CM? Sure. Um, you know, just previous to running for office, I was a lieutenant for the Department of Fire and Public Safety, Ocean Safety Bureau. So basically, I had been a beach lifeguard on Maui since about, um, I think my transfer date from County of Hawaii was November 16, 2001. So roughly 20 years spent on the beach was... Um, what led me to office. Uh, It kind of started off a little bit with um, this nonprofit called the Save Honolulu Coalition. And uh, my co-founder of that organization, she was my predecessor on the Maui County Council, um, former council member Ellie Cochran. And now she has just been elected to our state of... uh, representatives representing West Maui as well. So she's working at the state level and I'm at the county level. And we kind of, um, when they made plans to develop Honolulu Bay, which is kind of a world-renowned surf spot, they wanted to develop luxury homes overlooking it. We just kind of dove into politics and learned a lot of things about, you know, planning and things like that. And it just, um, it just led it into getting elected to office. Uh, Tamara, how many terms have you had the uh, the privilege of serving as a as a on the on the county council? Um, I'm wrapping up my second of five to- terms total right now at the end of the year, and I did get reelected. So next year I'll start my third term. Congratulations! Uh, uh, Thank as- you. You know, local government officials are so important on the American shoreline, so many issues. Uh, This is where, as they say, the rubber meets the road, where the real decisions get made. Uh, You were able to bring forward a local ordinance that was adopted successfully by the county uh, to create the managed retreat revolving fund. I would love to know, uh, given how controversial this subject can be, 
along the American shoreline. Uh, Tamara, how did this particular initiative come together? Can you give us a little bit of background, say, in the months leading up to the vote in November? Sure. Um, You know, West Maui really is kind of the tip of the spear in terms of uh, shoreline erosion and uh, the effects of sea level rise. Um, Nearly annually, we get a significant storm event that uh, wreaks havoc along our shorelines. Uh, The very road coming in and out of Lahaina, we received a RISE grant because it needs to be moved back regularly um, during high tide or full moon or swells. Um, Ocean water washes over both lanes of the highway. Um, We have nine condo complexes that are in danger of falling into the ocean. We have at least one building on the Upper West Side that's already been contemned, condemned and not allowed for human habitation. Um, we have a small stretch of roadway where, um, you know, where a couple big swells from having the charged water line, which is right next to the sewer line, blow out into the ocean. They're trying to make plans to reroute that road and the utilities around the back of the houses, which that alone um, is estimated last year to cost $15 million. So I was looking at, uh, you know, the culmination of all of those things and noticing, you know, that this past fiscal year, our budget, which we create annually and has to be uh, balanced was over a billion dollars and the majority of the revenue the counties collect property tax revenue comes from our coastal properties whatever classification it is whether it's hotel or single family home or apartment if it's on the coastline it's assessed higher because, you know, folks like the ocean view, they like, you know, to be right up front. And so with that higher assessment comes, um, you know, more revenue coming in. And knowing that we have so many properties in jeopardy and they're asking for different types of assistance, although the shoreline is, um, the ocean is really within the state's jurisdiction, it just... um, you know, kind of the realization occurred that when these buildings fall into the water, our revenue base is going to go down significantly and at a time when we'll really need the money to address the issues. And so the idea came up about a managed retreat revolving fund where we start now putting money into it. The first time that it came up to committee, because it came a few times, There was a lot of pushback. A lot of folks saw this as a bailout for wealthy landowners that a lot of them didn't even live in Maui County. And so, you know, we we went back and we did some work and, you know, we clarified that this isn't meant to be a bailout for wealthy landowners. You know, um, we prioritize shoreline safety improvements, removal of hazardous conditions, you know, like like I was talking about that charged water line right next to a charged sewer line, that would qualify for funds from the managed retreat fund. Um, 
the county itself has a lot of structures and um, things on the shoreline, like the road, the utilities, parks, and various buildings. And, um, you know, the, the one of the big concerns I personally had with um, those nine condo complexes that are uh, in jeopardy of falling into the ocean Many of the owners, I think there's like 900 plus owners because they own each unit in the condo complex individually. Many of them are elderly. Many of them don't reside in Maui County. And so kind of the thought was if this buildings fall into the ocean, who is responsible to clean it up? And, and that's where the public health and safety comes in as well. Like, we don't want to see our shorelines full of falling down building rubble. And obviously, there's going to be a cost to clean that up a little bit. Um, also spurred me was, I think, um, in Florida, they had that Surfside building collapse. Yes. And, you know, the magnitude of cleanup there, that's just one building. And we're looking at at least nine nine condo complexes that are in jeopardy one building already we know of that has been condemned and you know many more private residences right on the shoreline as well so those were some of the things um coming into play for me in proposing this bill some of the other pushback that i got from my colleagues was um some people thought like, you know, there would be federal disaster money available. And my, my argument was at the time when it's a federal disaster, I think plenty of coastal communities will be in the same situation. And there's no way the feds can bail everybody out at the same time. Um, you know, there's a lot of, we're all islands here and a lot of us have built up along the shoreline because that's desired, especially in this tourist economy that we're living in. Uh, the other concern was that um, we couldn't afford it. You know, we might need the money for something else. And so I kind of, you know, this, our, our county charter, which is like our constitution says that the budget shall be formed every year. So this is not so, I mean, it's an ordinance, but it it's up to the budget and the council and the mayor to put the money in annually. It creates the fund. It's kind of an advisory guidance to put 20% of the transient accommodation tax in there. And my argument along those lines was, um, you know, many of these larger buildings are transient accommodations and, you know, to mitigate the impacts and uh, perpetuate transient accommodations, nobody's going to come to Hawaii and see a bunch of buildings and rubble in the shoreline as well. So in that way, I felt it tied into uh, transient accommodation um, funding. That is a great connection. And I, you know, I just want to circle back and ask you, uh, Tamara, 20 years spent on the Maui coast as a professional lifeguard. First of all, uh, that should be a reality TV show right there. Uh, that's an incredible uh, career. I would love to spend an hour just on that. Uh, but I, I would love to get your perception of the changes that you saw on the coast over that period of time. 
uh, both from an, a coastal erosion perspective, but also from a development perspective. Were you struck by the changes you saw on the Maui coast over those 20 years? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the the ocean has been coming up a lot higher. Um, I remember there was talk at one time that there was this uh, warm blob in the ocean and, and, you know, like how warm water expands. And that's why... Um, the sea level was presenting as coming up further and further than what it normally does. Um, you know, we, we have seasonal shifts of sand, of course, um, where it moves one way in, in the summer and moves back in the winter. But overall, the amount of shoreline hardening really impacted whether uh, sand returned in the amounts that it left in. And um, that one bay where the building already is condemned, um, I remember one time just being on a call and, and looking at there, and it looked as though the whole cliffs they had shot created with concrete. And, um, you know, they continually were trying to save their property, and it, it seems to have just really exacerbated the problem. They had a, a seawall. And I guess it seems as though uh, their strategy was to backfill the seawall with these huge boulders and then shotcrete it in to make this big concrete slab. But what the ocean actually did was undermine underneath the sand underneath the wall. And so it turned out to be this heavy concrete slab ledge that... Uh, crack the foundation of the building and, and their own engineers deemed it unsafe for habitation. Um, plenty of places. Uh, one of our beach parks, Puamana Beach Park on the south side of Lahaina is currently closed. The parking lot is kind of a ledge like that, um, but it's not closed because of the severe erosion. Um, there is a lot of Hawaiian uh, burials that are coming up too because um I, I'm I'm not an expert in Hawaiian culture but um a lot of a lot of bones um do turn up in the shoreline areas. Um at the beach that I worked at, DT Fleming's Beach Park, um it fronts the Ritz Carlton Kapalua Kapalua Hotel and that area is a burial preserve. When they were building it, they encountered, encountered hundreds of bones and they actually had to move their hotel much inland. And in some ways it's better for them because their hotel is not threatened by coastal erosion to the extent a lot of the shoreline hotels are. Um, in, in that location, uh, some folks think that the bones were taken up into the mountain and put into uh, like lava tubes and things like that. And then they came out on the shoreline. But um, in Hawaiian protocol, you really don't want the bones exposed to the sun at all. So there is a protocol in retrieving the bones and um, reentering it. And so that's why Puamana Beach Park is closed because of the volume of bones that are turning up they don't want to have you know any 
any wrong things happen in addition to the the parking lot becoming kind of somewhat undermined as well wow just a, a lot going on there and uh, i can imagine you know this is not the the first time that i have heard and i'm sure that this is going to continue to happen that as uh coast dewey road uh old native american uh, barrel grounds are becoming exposed and uh, that introduces a whole slate of interesting management uh, questions that have to be taken into account. Uh, but I also want to ask you, Tamara, about uh, the history of managed retreat on Maui. Um, are there any examples of a of the county of Maui or another group there buying out uh, a private entity for the purposes of managed retreat? Um, not that I'm aware of, you know, the, the history of managed retreat that I'm aware of is the county properties, um, moving their own structures back or, um, taking them down. Uh, when I was first started at the beach and I didn't have much seniority, sometimes I got sent to the other side of the island, which is, uh, Baldwin beach park, um, on the North shore. And uh, when I used to work there, they had a, a different a shower, a pavilion, another storage room. And since that time, the shower has been uh, eroded away and removed. The storage room has been removed. And I, I'm not sure if they're completely removing the pavilion now. But um, in those terms, the county, when it's their own facilities, will just remove things as the... Uh, the sea level rises or the coasty roads. Um, as far as private properties, I'm not too familiar. And that's kind of the situation with the nine condo complexes. They wanted to build more seawalls. Um, the state has taken kind of a stance against shoreline hardening as that kind of exacerbates the situation in other areas. And so they did these studies and they came up with what they felt as a solution for uh, tea groins, a series of tea groins, which is similar to uh, Iroquois mm -hmm. Point on Oahu, which is kind of a, a managed retreat success story that involved the military. Um, I had the opportunity to go visit and learn a little bit about those tea groins to better my understanding of the proposal for tea groins for West Maui. But um, the the holdup there, besides the permitting and things like that, is the condo complex, the 936 owners or however much, um, they don't feel like they have the money to front it. They're asking for a communities facilities district from the county to be able to float a bond to fund the construction of these tea grinds. And um, as of yet, the county leadership has not been willing to do that because we don't really do community facilities districts like how the continent does them. Um, and it would be our first one, and they fe would feel more comfortable if it's something that we're familiar with, you know, and maintain because it becomes county ownership and liability. 
So like, you know, a communities facilities district for a road would make sense. Public works maintains and deals with roads. Community facilities district for a sewage plant or a water well, all within the range of things that our county department um, has and is equipped to handle. But when you are talking about tea groins, we don't have any department that goes into the ocean. The county's jurisdiction usually is up to the high tide mark. And then from there to about three miles out to sea is under state jurisdiction. And the state has made um, special improvement districts on Ka'anapali and other areas where they do just that, where they float a bond and, you know, um, fund the project and most times it's uh, beach nourishment where they'll find sand from an offshore source and pump it in to replenish the beach but that's a very um, temporary solution and can be washed away with the right swell from the right direction so that they see the Tigrain as a more permanent solution but um, they don't have the 30 to 40 million to implement it. You know, I, I, Tamara, I just love the uh, rendition of the considerations that the county is considering. Uh, the problem you are facing is almost universal along the American shoreline anywhere. Uh, shorelines are retreating. We know sea levels are rising around the world. Uh, and I just think this brings to the, f- to the fore and brings into focus the incredible work local government officials are going to have to do uh, in the future along the American shoreline to contend with these very intricate and complicated problems. Uh, so I, I want to say congratulations to the county for for, for really uh, being proactive uh, and assertive in coming up with uh, this idea of a managed retreat revolving fund. Uh, for the listeners out there, just a couple of things that uh, to know about the ordinances. Uh, the transient accommodation tax is something that that's what it's called in Maui and for folks around the country, obviously, this can be called your occupancy tax, your short-term rental tax. There's a variety of different names. Obviously, this is paid for and added to uh, folks visiting uh, on a short-term basis. Uh, this fund in Maui County uh, re- raises or collects about $60 million a year. The ordinance tomorrow uh, is quite uh powerful in this regard. It, it commits 20% of the transient occupancy accommodation tax to the revolving fund, to the managed retreat revolving fund, which could, if, if levels were to be maintained, about $12 million a year. Um, you, you, you pointed out that this is an authorization. It creates the fund and it creates the funding mechanism, but annually uh, the county is going to have to appropriate funds to the managed retreat revolving fund. So here's my question. Uh, so you're, a, you're an elected official and a county commissioner. Do you expect in the next budget uh, for the county to uh, make an investment and commit funds to the managed retreat revolving fund? Do you have a sense? Uh, will it be funded in this first budget year? Um, I'm really not sure. You know, uh, the progressive side that was in the majority this last term, we lost a couple seats. So there is a chance that there won't be the votes there to fully fund it. Um, we also have a new mayor. Um, we're all 
having about three new elected officials take office on January 2nd. And um, none of them have held office before. I'm not sure um, how aware they are of everything. And so we'll have to see um, if, if it doesn't work out the way uh, the ordinance is written the next step we could try and take is a charter amendment, which would uh, mandate that the fund be funded at whatever percent the charter amendment says. Uh, and then that's the way to get it funded annually for certain. Well, I think it, it, it like getting the structure in place and getting the ordinance adopted is such a tremendous step forward. And for the listeners out there, I would encourage you to to uh, Google up the Maui Managed Retreat Revolving Fund and take a look at this ordinance. It's really uh, just rock solid, put together extremely well, very sensible. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, just to see this purpose in a local government or, uh, ordinance on the American Toronto is pretty astonishing. And I'm just going to read the sentence that leads into the stated purpose of this fund. But it says the Managed Retreat Revolving Fund is established for the purpose of optimizing opportunities for shifting development inland from the coast through the physical movement of existing structures. Wow. Uh, that's a powerful and clear statement. It, it, the ordinance sets out the circumstances and how the funds, funds can be used. Uh, it's very well written. Uh, I just think uh, uh, it's a, it, tomorrow this is, a, this is a, the cutting edge of American shoreline management on this issue. I, I, I think it's worth it for uh, coastal communities around the country to take a look at what you've accomplished there. Um, have you heard from other elected officials in Hawaii, for example, in the other counties? Have you gotten any feedback uh, from, from elected officials, state or federal, or other local officials in Hawaii on this, in the, on this ordinance? No, not yet. You know, it was only signed into law a couple of days after the election. And I think a lot of us are still uh, recovering from the election um, to make such a big deal about it. Um, you know, the, the private owners do push back a lot about against the idea of managed retreat. Um, so, you know, the there's still a lot of work to do. Um, we've been looking into adapted pathways and other um, mechanisms that would facilitate uh, moving inland. We've also looked into, you know, areas that are currently not slated for development within our uh, West Maui Community Plan. It's one of the first where they, um, there's a directive to take climate change and things like that into account when the plan was created. So we've set aside areas in our community plan where development should not occur unless it's for the purpose of managed retreat as well. So, um, you know, in Hawaii, a lot of our uh, recreational areas are, are beaches, beach parks, and things like that. And, and there has been a Department of Parks and Recreation vulnerability assessment of, of beach parks and like that. And West Maui stands to lose the most. And so we've also been, um, this last term, I think we, we also purchased 50 acres for future parklands in anticipation 
of of things like that are going on at Puamana where we um, are losing our our park areas. So you know, it's it's when you look at the big picture, it hardly feels like a drop in the bucket, but just you know doing the best we can and and taking the steps where we can take it looking for the opportunities um that we can make uh to to affect change and to raise awareness as well well i just think it's i reiterate everything peter said it's it really is a monumental uh first step it's not done yet there's still a long way to go but it still says so much that this initial step was taken, that this ordinance was adopted. And I'm reminded, uh, Peter and Tamara, of our conversation with Charles Lester and Gary Griggs about a month ago, Peter, I think it was. And we were talking about managed retreat and specifically in California and all the examples of erosion and and various communities and how they were approaching erosion. And, uh, you know, one of the things that they say in their report is that communities need to have a vision of what they want their future coastline to look like. And I've got to ask Tamara, when you are working super hard, I imagine, getting this uh, fund established, thinking about all of these government mechanisms, what what are you working toward? Do you have, have what is your vision for the future of the Maui coast? Well, um, you know, what, what just came to mind was uh, the PAC iOS viewer and the estimated 3.2 feet of sea level rise at the end of 2100, which is, you know, less than 80 years away. My vision is, you know, free and accessible shorelines for everyone. And to some extent, when the hotels and the private developers came in, they cut a lot of us off from the shoreline. You know, there's um, social media groups dedicated to beach access in Maui because a lot of the hotels and private landowners have, um, you know, somewhat illegally cut the public off from uh, our shorelines, which are uh, a right in Hawaii to have public access to the shoreline. So, um, you know, in hindsight, Building so close to the ocean probably wasn't the best idea. And just leaving the area open for, for people to access and enjoy in a healthy and, and uh, safe way would, would be my vision. Of course, I think uh, you know, it's easy to say, not e- to have that vision and to articulate that vision as an elected official is, is uh, meaningful. I think, and brave, actually. In a lot of places on the American shoreline, you'd get voted out of office. So I have two questions regarding the politics of this issue. When the ordinance was presented November 10th, what was the vote? The final vote was uh, unanimous. Uh, Throughout committee and like that, I think there were two of our members that were, were pretty against it. But I guess at the end of the day, they saw it, the writing on the wall, and they just voted with it. You got to love that, you know, unanimous uh, adoption. Uh, in the election that was just completed, you mentioned that uh, several members of the county council uh, uh, have turned over. Uh, some of the progressive members were voted out. Um, was, the, was the shoreline retreat issue a subject in the campaign? Not too much. I mean, it was in my campaign. Um, the two members that turned over, they had sought higher office for mayor 
and um, they did not uh, advance into the primary. I see. Um, it it was a big issue in my campaign. Um, I I won my election pretty easily. I I think I got a little over sixty percent of the vote. I I was the person the one person living in Maui County that got the most votes. I got mm. more votes than the elected uh, mayor. Wow. Um, the governor and the senator got more votes than me, but neither of them live in Maui County. And the charter amendments got more votes than me, but they aren't people. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. And, uh, it, you know, all politics is local. That's a common saying. But uh, I do think that there is a growing awareness uh, in along the American shoreline uh, that the the issue that we are facing, rising seas, impact on development, the need to take serious the opportunity uh, to consider removing structures, moving them back, as you said, preserving the tax base. Uh, these structures falling into the sea, denies the county a significant amount of revenue. As you said, the shoreline uh, uh, properties are responsible for most of the budget for the county. Uh, Losing those structures is a detriment to the county and to the public. So relocating them and saving that value and uh, making the coast, as you said, that vision more accessible just seems really uh, uh, clear thinking, Tamara. And uh, uh, it's encouraging that when tested in the electorate, um, the public uh, had no problem voting for your reelection. Um, so maybe there's a chance tomorrow looking around the country that other local elected officials could uh, find the courage to uh, approach the issue as constructively as you have and your fellow county commissioners have in Maui. Um, what, um, what do you think about... Um, uh, do, do you do, are you are you are you preparing yourself for a little bit of pushback next time, or how do you think this ordinance is going to hold up as you get into the charter uh, amendment process and perhaps seek to really put some money behind this thing? Well, you know, unfortunately, um, climate change is real, and there are a lot of uh, disasters that have been uh, hitting us. Right before I got into office in 2019, we had a severe um, wildfire followed by uh, severe flooding. Um, Just on election night, a huge wildfire broke out um, in my district so that I I left the election site and um, drove back to my district. So I think, you know, these worsening disasters will will tell and show the need for this type of fund, um, revolving fund. And unfortunately, um, it's one of those cases where you would hate to be proven right um, about the need. I think, you know, if if a building should fall in or if a, a roadway should fall in, that's the sign. And, you know, in... In response to these issues and impending sea level rise, our state legislature passed Act 83 in 2014, which mandated the Hawaii Sea Level Rise Vulnerability Report, and Act 32 in 2017, which created the State Climate Change Commission, 
um, projected exposure can be visualized in the Hawaii sea level rise viewer. Um, to me, one of the hardest things to convey to the general public, especially those who don't um, live, breathe, and work around the ocean, is the impact is not going to be the slow, steady rise of the ocean to 3.2 feet by 2100. It's going to be the periodic catastrophic events that, you know, in some places we're still recovering from. And, um, you know, a 3.2 foot sea level rise or even a one foot of sea level rise coupled with a large swell um, July 15th our islands experienced a huge south swell and there were um, videos all over social media of like two-story condominiums getting barreled, um, you know, roadways being washed out um, and the like. So I think as those events become more commonplace, my hope is that people will see the need for it and, and you know, once we lose revenue from one of our large uh, landowners, it's it's hopefully that people will see what what it is that I'm trying to talk about and prevent. Well, I have to say it's, you know, I know it's hard for local governments to bite the bullet here. For one, these are extremely high value properties uh, they are good for the tax rolls. They bring a lot of money into local government. The idea of taking them off of the tax rolls is uh, hard to do in the moment. But you know, if you think about generations ahead that won't have to pay for the the cleanup of of structures falling in, they won't have to pay for a lack of a natural coastline or a lack of a beach because they'll have it. I mean, the value added there is so huge. And I've got to say, I've got to compliment uh, Hawaii, our island, our island brothers and sisters here uh, in, in the United States of America. Uh, I go to the, the County of Maui website, Peter, and I'm looking at the various departments in the county. Some of them are pretty predictable. All, ca- all counties in America pretty much have them. However, there's also an Office of Climate Change, Resiliency, and Sustainability. And I think that there, it, that is just a, a wonderful thing to be uh, uh, institutionalized in the county for professionals to be thinking about management in that way. I think this totally overlaps with uh, uh, tourism too, Peter. Uh, on our show, Big Tourism, Erica Sears routinely talks about this changing idea of tourism promotion to destination management. And now we're even shifting from destination management to destination sustainability. So I, there, things are really changing. And I can see why Hawaii being an island state with island people, an island culture, would be interested in really thinking about its not only its relationship with the coast, but also its relationship with sustainability more broadly, something that I've, I've always enjoyed when I've traveled to Hawaii, learning about the history there and the way people live uh, in, in simpatico with the islands, at least traditionally. I've got to ask, Tamara, uh, you, you mentioned the state, a couple, a couple important pieces of legislation at the state level. But let me ask you, as a county, uh, a county leader, 
what would you what would you like to see the state of Hawaii and or the federal government do to help you with this? You know, Peter and I have done funding plans for uh, beach renourishment elsewhere in the country, and sometimes there can be a a state contribution to a project or a federal contribution to a project. I wonder if I wonder if if you uh, would like to see any sort of help from other higher levels of government. Yeah, I mean, that would be great. I I think that, you know, one of the ideas I proposed to the um, Kahana Bay Steering Committee, which is the group overseeing those nine condo complexes, um, was to assist them with their tea growing with the caveat that in 30 years, they will pay not only pay back the bond, but uh, decommission their buildings and move back. You know, I think that um, providing that help in order to uh, raise funds and give time for the retreat is is a, a good way to act. Identifying areas where folks could retreat. Um, one of the other things that I had been thinking about is the commodification of development rights. Um we had a a bill going forward, although it, it didn't um, get the votes necessary to stop future hotels, but it, it stopped nearly every other kind of transient accommodation where we're at, like a point in time status quo of transient accommodations for Maui County. And, and the goal was to include hotels in that. And then with all of our hotels and transient accommodations on the shoreline, give them the ability to sell their rights to be a transient accommodation. So if someone um, wanted to build a new hotel, we could take one out from the shoreline and that shoreline property could then sell their uh, ability to do transient accommodations as a, a commodity, you know? But that didn't go through all the way. But that was that was the idea in the proposal, you know. And I was trying to work with our um, building trades, you know, in in building a hotel or whatever. You only make money in the building, but with a cap and trade system, the building trades would make money in the tear down recycle whatever materials they're able to and use that in the build up, you know? Good grief, Tamara. I, man, I have never heard uh, anyone propose a development right cap and trade system so that the density or the quantity of development along the shoreline is sort of maintained at a status quo level. Uh, I think it's it, like, these are the prudent things that uh, innovative uh, uh, people, uh, need to be thinking about it. I, I just got to say, I'm going to make a plug tomorrow. The American Shore and Beach Preservation Association, I'm sure you're familiar with it, ASBPA's national conference is in October next year. I'm not even, I don't think they've announced where that event is being held. They they for sure have, and it's going to be in Rhode Island, you should know. Oh, it's in Rhode Island. It's a ways. Tomorrow, I think you should be, I, I, I wish you could go and speak on behalf of the of these initiatives, because I think they're really important as leadership um, ideas for for local elected officials and uh, along the American shoreline. Um, and I'd also say that 
the ASBPA uh, Coastal Summit, which occurs in March, March 21st to the 23rd uh, next year, is going to be at the National Association of Counties Building in Washington, D.C. It's a great event. It's a real policy-based discussion. Uh, I, I'm just hoping that uh, the county uh, will 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 begin to speak about these initiatives and these ideas because I think it's innovative and I think it's important for local elected officials around the country to understand um, what you're doing. And uh, I guess, as Tyler said, it's not a surprise that our island state is leading the way on some of the most innovative policy on the American Toronto on these development versus sea level rise issues. So I don't know. I hope I would love to see you at ASBPA next year. Yeah, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that I went to the National Association of Counties uh, conference in Denver this past summer, and I was really looking for um, anything about shoreline erosion, sea level rise, and how the various counties are preparing. And I, 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 sad to say, I didn't find much. <laughs> you're too early. You got to wait a couple you're years. You're leading the way. <laughs> I think you're. Wow. Well, it's it's a it's exciting, and I, I think that um, it, you know there's nothing like uh, reality to focus the mind. And I think the island state, the, the state of Hawaii, uh, and the elected officials there are more acutely aware of the issues that uh, coastal communities are facing. Um, and uh, it's great to see uh, the leadership and the innovation tomorrow that you and your fellow county commissioners are uh, are diving into and successfully getting this first um, ordinance passed. Uh, I got to say, we're, we're just impressed and we're really pleased to, to, to bring this to the attention of our listeners on, on the show. So thank, thanks a lot for, for, for doing what you're doing. Right on. Thanks for um, recognizing it. I, I didn't realize what a big deal it was until I hear you guys talking about it. <laughs> well, we don't think anybody uh, is doing what you're doing that we're aware of. But we we try to keep pretty good track of what's happening. Um, the last thing I'd like to give you the last word on this show, and, and Tyler had mentioned the sustainability uh, component uh, of the county's uh, climate change uh, response planning process. Uh, you're the chair of planning and sustainable land use for the county. Uh, talk to us about the broader issues of sustainability in Maui County and how that uh, that issue area is progressing for you uh, in your community. Um, well, you know, I did mention about the wildfires. Um, we're experiencing pretty heavy drought conditions and there's so much entitled development in my community plan area that the state actually has um, designated the entire Lahaina aquifer sector as a, a management area. And so we're in the first year of that designation, um, everybody is having to put in water use permit applications, whether you're an existing user, a Kuliana user, which is you know a traditional um, right to water or anything and everyone has about one year and it'll be um, separated into existing uses and future uses and things like that and uh, the state commission on water resource management will determine whether or not uh, 
mostly not existing uses, but if future uses are a high enough priority that you would qualify for water, we're, we're at that point already where um, the amount of development that has been entitled exceeds our uh, water capacity. But with that said, we have a lot of old projects on the books from like, you know, 20 plus years ago that never came into fruition. And so, you know, some of it is is uh, deciding as a community of all the development that has already been approved, which are the ones that are essential enough to move forward. Like, do we need more um, hotels when we don't have enough housing for the workforce to service those hotels, you know, and those types of things. So it's it's difficult because then people that have been entitled, it, it gets into the conversation of a, a takings. And of course, um, you know, luxury developments or hotels are much easier to be developed with that type of financial backing than, you know, low income housing or workforce housing, although it's so desperately needed. Um, But those are some of the things we face. (laughs) You know, I just got to thank you. Uh, uh, Tyler, this is what what local government is about. And uh, it's it's where it really is uh, contending with these issues, not in the abstract, not as a policy discussion, not as sort of a paper and a what if, but communities grappling with development pressure along the American shoreline, how to contend with rising seas and the threats to structures. Uh, it's it's just, it's it really is uh, the cauldron of, uh, of policy development and to see local elected officials taking the lead tower, it's just, it's a real a joy to highlight this one. It is. And this is why, Peter, we do this. It's because of the drama. It is the drama of the shoreline. It is the these fundamental questions of how people are going to respond to the changes of the shoreline. What do they value? What do they wish to get out of it? What compromises are they willing to make? And Tamara, I just have to say that uh, you're setting an example for the the whole country, I think, on how to lean into the lean into the solution. Uh, there's a lot of good grassroots uh, support there, Tamar, that you've built, which is ultimately where it comes from. But you also yeah. really know your stuff, and I think that that came yeah. through, and everyone can appreciate that this is not simple. This is complicated stuff. You don't just start the fund. It's it's how are you going to use it? How will funds be dispersed? Will will it be funded year in, year out? Do we have to approach some sort of charter amendment? Uh, this is the technical universe that Manage Retreat will come to look like. And uh, Tamara, you, you, you've, you've launched this thing as far as I'm concerned. The game is on. We're, we're in the first inning. Wow, right on. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Tamara Pelton. She is the chair of Planning and Sustainable Land Use Committee for the County of Maui, Hawaii, and a leading light on uh, innovative thinking on the American shoreline. Tamara, thank you so much for sharing the work that you're doing in Maui with the listeners on the American Shoreline podcast. We couldn't appreciate it more. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Totally. Totally.